Welcome to the National Capital Bible Church and our study of the book of Job. We're right near the end. Uh, I had a sense that maybe today would be the last lesson in Job, but we'll certainly have one more uh, next week. But we always start each one of our Bible classes with a little brief opportunity for you to prepare yourselves spiritually. Spiritual preparation occurs when we are aware of any sin in our lives. And if there is, we confess those sins and we take those sins to the Lord. These are sins that have already been redeemed at the cross, but it's simply a matter of us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to acknowledge those sins. We acknowledge that we have sinned and that we are out of fellowship And the confession of those sins is very simple. We do it quietly. uh, We do it privately. And uh, there's no reason for us to be inordinately anxious about those. But we certainly want to uh, name them to God. So as we prepare, we also know that the Lord is my light and my deliverance. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads, and then I'll begin us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for our Bible classes. We're thankful for the uh, importance of learning the Word of God, every part of the Word of God, not simply our favorite passages, but also the value that God the Holy Spirit has embedded in these texts. We're thankful uh, as we uh, are coming close to the end of our book of Job that we will understand uh, the importance of why God the Holy Spirit has included this book in the Word of God. And we pray, Father, that God the Holy Spirit would help us to understand the text of Scripture that He has inspired and preserved. We pray, Father, for uh, the understanding of the points and the principles that we'll be studying tonight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, tonight, before we begin, we have a a video that I I want to uh, show you. It's a video that was made uh, by Prager University. And it's uh, a young gal, I think 20 years old, who is speaking about socialism. And she's from China has a very vivid understanding of what's happening in China and will have the opportunity to uh, listen to her for about five minutes as we as we play this video. So give us one minute or so as we rearrange the, the uh, screen up here so you can see the video. All right. Uh, I wanted to show that video because we need to be aware not only of what's happening in China, 
But we need to know what's happening in the United States. And the farther we march through the institutions with socialism and with Marxism, the closer we get to the example that we have uh, in the history of China. And right now, we have many leaders who are uh, supportive of Marxist principles and policies. Freedom is being restricted, and it's absolutely remarkable how restrictive uh, the United States has been over the past two years. The COVID-19 virus has demonstrated that it's very easy to control a free people simply by instituting certain fear tactics. And we need to be cautious of what is happening. All right, we are in the book of Job. Please turn, if you have not already, to the book of Job, right in front of the book of Psalm. And we are in the last chapter, Job 42, and we have studied up to verse 10 in this last chapter. The last section here has God's speeches to Job, and his reply and his last reply was confession and uh, his humility about how he had approached God during his adversity. Now, we don't judge Job because of his uh, anxiety and his accusations. Why? Because he truly was under great pressure, and he knew that uh, God would take care of him, but he was simply uh, having great difficulty uh, in facing the adversity in his life. We saw God's addresses, uh, God's address to Job's friends in verses 7 through 9 in chapter 42. And now we begin the very last section as God restores Job's prosperity and his family. And we see this in verses 10 through 17. Now tonight, even though uh, as I was studying, I thought that... <clears throat> We probably could finish the last chapter tonight. But as always, there are so many principles that can be found in these verses. And if we read them quickly, we may miss them. But in verse 10, we read that, And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Verse 11. Then all his brothers, all his sisters, and all those who had been in his acquaintance previously came to him, to Job, and ate food with him in his house. And they consoled him. Another word there, I think, maybe even better, is they encouraged him. And they encouraged him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each 
a ring of gold. Now, <clears throat> the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him, another way of saying that is that there was someone who was the instrument of this. And, of course, we know that that was Satan. And God allowed Satan to uh, bring the uh, difficulties into his life. Now, in verse 10, we read that God restores Job's prosperity and family. When did this occur and why did it occur? Well, it occurred because Job realized after his discussion, uh, monologue really, with God, that his, his life is truly in God's hands. And it's in God's hands that he needed to trust. And when he realized that, he really had passed the test. Now, let me move us forward a little bit here. God's restoration of Job's prosperity and family. Job 42, and I'm going to, to cover tonight uh, verses 10 and 11. First of all, Job had confessed his loss of faith. So his recovery begins with confession of sin, his loss of faith, his acknowledgement of doubt, and even his accusations of God. And this is not unusual. It is common for those of us who even believe that we have a strong spiritual life. But when something happens in our life that is contrary to what we believe should be happening, we believe that everything should be bliss, 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 bliss. And when bliss is challenged, then we challenge God. Why? And that, of course, is what Job did. Uh, he had a little help along the way with his friends. But when God's word, and I like to use that, when God's word corrected him, he confessed his sins. He realized that humility was how he needed to proceed. And so God, God uh, Job uh, confessed his loss of faith. Secondly, God forgives Job. He restores him to fellowship with God. He, we see that he'll also be restored to fellowship with his friends and family. But God forgives Job. Confession of sins, God forgives him. God forgives Job, restores him to fellowship with God, and Job's prayer for his friends is effective. Without the confession and recovery, his prayers would not have been effective. Third, Job's restored spiritual st stability brings God's renewed blessing upon him. So Job's, and what I have on the slide is a bit different than what I often say, but I've just briefly uh, placed a line on our slide. So Job's restored spiritual stability, and that's what confession can do for us. 
and also if we begin to apply God's promises. We would say we confess our sins and we apply the faith rest, uh, faith rest drill. And remember that uh, just because we confess our sins, that doesn't mean that our life, our spiritual life, regains its momentum and we charge up the hill. Very often, confession of sins restores us, but if we have not uh, controlled the anger, the fear, the bitterness, whatever it is, and we control those, then we don't advance. But we control those sins with God's promises. And we need to be able to apply those promises. I've taught that many times. Um, uh, It's very difficult for us sometimes to believe that the confession of our sins has actually worked because we may still be afraid. Uh, We may still be angry. Uh, we may we may still be resentful towards a friend or to a member of the family. But the confession is important because of the sin that needs to be identified, acknowledged. But then we have to use uh, God's promises to shore up our spiritual lives so we may begin to progress again. So Job's, Job's restored spiritual Stability brings God's renewed blessing upon him. Fourth, Job's painful disease was cured either at this time when he prays for his friends or immediately after his confession. Uh, The text simply doesn't tell us. Confession of sins uh, restores our relationship with God. It doesn't always mean that the situation will change. Sometimes the test uh, or the discipline may continue. But what we do know from the text is that somewhere uh, in this uh, period of time, God changes the situation in Job's life. So Job's painful disease or his adversity was cured either at this time or, uh, meaning after his intercession for his friends, or immediately after his confession. Five, God's blessing to Job is significant. It's significant after Job's successful recovery from his test. So God's blessing to Job is significant. It's remarkable after Job's recovery. Now, not every situation is the same, but we do have this example of Job, his confession of sins, and because, I believe, he was a very strong believer prior to Satan's attacks, Job is able to once more stabilize his spiritual life and begin to serve God once more. So point five, God's blessings to Job is significant after Job's successful recovery from his test. And it's important for us to make that recovery when we have tests. 
Sometimes uh, tests will cause us to be even more devoted to our spiritual lives. Other times, test or trial will just knock us off the tracks, and it's difficult for us to recover. But with Job, he recovers. Point six, successfully passing spiritual tests brings God's gracious blessings to the believer. So successfully passing spiritual tests brings God's gracious blessings to the believer. Now, we have this in several passages, but one of the one of the passages that we have recently studied is in James. James 1.12. James 1.12. The book of Job is filled with principles, and this is possibly one of the best. James, uh, not the apostle, but this was the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, James writes this book to uh, believers, matter of fact, Jewish believers, who were uh, being tested. They were under pressure from those who lived around them. And Job, or excuse me, James is speaking to them about uh, how to uh, face the trials that they're, uh, that they're facing. James 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. And possibly a better translation for uh, temptation is, is for trials or testing. And that's how I will uh, read this. Blessing, blessed is the man who endures, who, uh, who endures trials because he will receive to those who love him. So let me read that alone. Blessed is the man who endures testing. For when he has approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. What this tells us, what Joe's is trying to tell us, is that tests are the opportunities that God gives us so that we have the opportunity to successfully the the tests. And as we have these tests, we are blessed by the Lord in uh, the many opportunities that God gives us. Let's also turn to James 5, James 5, 11. James 5, 11. Verse 11 says, Indeed, another word would be truly. Indeed, we count them blessed who are, uh, who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by God, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So, Job persevered persevered, uh, in the midst of the adversity, and we're thankful that 
this uh, verse here tells us that the Lord uh, is very compassionate and merciful. And that's what we see here with the book of Job. Let's go to verse point seven. Point seven, we might think that we suffer, that we suffer loss during the test or the trial. But God blesses us in his ways. God blesses us. God knows the best way to bless us after the tests, the trials. We might believe that we should be blessed the way that Job is blessed. Job was blessed in such a way that his his prosperity was doubled. And we'll see that when we get to verse 11 and then continuing through verse 12 through 17. But we will not always be that way. We will not always be blessed the way that we think we should be blessed. God knows the best way to bless us after being tested. So 7 says we must think, we might think, that we suffer loss during a test or a trial. Will that all be recovered? And the answer is God knows how to bless us. Point eight, point eight, God blesses Job by doubling his previous possessions. So God's choice was to double his previous possessions. Now, that may not be the situation in our lives. God may simply return us to a specific uh, point in our life. But God blessed Job by doubling his previous possessions. Point nine, God may not bless us the way he blessed Job, but God knows what is best for us. So God may not bless us the way that he blessed Job, but God knows best. Let's turn back to Job. Job 42, verse 11. Verse 11 says, Job 42:11, Then all his brothers, all his sisters, and all those who had been his acquaintances previously came to him, to Job, and ate food with him in his house. And they encouraged him, Job, for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. All right. We have a little bit longer. And what I would like to do now is walk through this this verse, really 10 and 11, on uh, lessons of Job's restoration And we'll focus uh, mostly on the forgiveness here that we see. So point one, the first point is that previously Job had been ostracized, but now his relationships are restored. God restores Job's relationships. God returns these people to him. So once more, Previously, Job had been ostracized. Job had been ostracized, but now his relationships are restored. God restores Job's relationships. Uh, This is not something that Job had to work 
to restore this, God blesses him with the restoration of his friends and his family. God returns these people to him. This is part of his provision. Secondly, Job's acquaintances probably included his three judgmental friends and his critical wife. There's no indication through the book of, uh, of Job what happens to his wife, but most believe that she recovered, much like uh, his friends and uh, Job did. So Job's acquaintances probably included his three friends and his wife. Point three, part of Job's spiritual recovery was forgiveness, was forgiveness. So part of Job's spiritual recovery was forgiveness for those who previously had criticized him and judged him. Part of Job's spiritual recovery was forgiveness. Forgiveness for those who previously criticized and judged him. When we are judged, when we are criticized, uh, we, we can be exceedingly offended. Offended to the point that we break the relationship that we have with the person who we believe uh, was criticizing us or judging us. And uh, it's important for us to realize that forgiveness is not simply forgiveness, but it's an opportunity to bring us back into a fellowship with that individual. And it appears that that's what Job is doing here. Now, I know that there are times when healing a relationship is difficult, and sometimes it may not be uh, possible, but we must forgive the person, and we must not continue to have uh, mental attitude sins towards the individual. So point four, notice here that Job did not carry a grudge. Job could have shunned his fickle friends, but he does not. So Job does not carry a grudge. Job could have shunned his fickle friends, but he does not. And this is one of Job's uh, remarkable recovery. Five, God gave him, God for God had forgiven him. So God forgave Job and blessed him. Job applies God's example. So God forgave Job and blessed him. Job applies the same principles to his friends. This is part of, of Job's spiritual maturity. Six, Job's forgiveness is a sign of his spiritual recovery and his maturity. Job's forgiveness is a sign of his spiritual recovery and maturity. We may not realize this, but when someone, when someone crosses us or offends us, 
if we are unable to forgive, that is an indication of our spiritual maturity. Seven, God's word, God's word teaches us that we are to forgive as God through Christ forgave us. So God's word teaches us that we are to forgive as God forgave us. And we can also insert that as God through Christ forgave us. We are forgiven because of Christ's work on the cross. Ephesians 4, 32. Ephesians 4, we've read this passage many times. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus. And he is teaching them the spiritual life, how they are to act as believers. And he says in verse 32, at the end of this chapter, and be kind to one another. And the word here, to be kind, is actually uh, an imperative. And he says that we are to become compassionate. We are to become gracious, gracious towards one another. Tender, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So Jesus Christ's death on the cross is our example. God forgives us through the Lord Jesus Christ as God in Christ forgave you. So this is, I think, a very important point for us to understand. God's word teaches us that we are to forgive as Christ as God through Christ forgave us. And I've mentioned that the word forgive is really based upon uh, the the family of words of grace. And so we treat each other graciously. God treats us graciously by forgiving us. And we should treat people graciously by forgiving them. Point eight, Jesus taught his disciples the principle of forgiveness. Jesus taught his disciples the principle of forgiveness. And we see this in Mark eleven twenty five. We also see it in Matthew six fourteen. So let's turn to Mark. We don't go to Mark very often. But let's go to Mark 11, Mark 11, verse 25, Mark 11:25, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything, a sin against anyone, forgive him. In other words, you confess it that your father in heaven may also forgive you your trespass. In other words, your trespass here is not forgiving by holding a grudge, we might say. Forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. 
But if you do not forgive, in other words, if you continue to sin, if you do not forgive, if you continue to be bitter, resentful, uh, whatever it is, if you do not forget, forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. As long as we do not confess our sins, we are not forgiven. And so that's what Jesus is teaching here. God the Father cannot forgive believers who still have unconfessed sins in their life. Anger, resentment, fear, whatever it might be. Uh, And we must confess them before God will forgive us and restore us to fellowship with him. Let's go to Matthew 6. Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verse 14. Matthew 6, 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forget men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is a very simple principle. If we continue to have Uh, to harbor sin in our lives, then we're out of fellowship and we don't have a relationship with the Father. All right, point nine. Is there a limit to forgiving? Is there a limit to forgiving? Jesus taught that there was no limit to the number of times to forgive. Jesus taught there was no limit to the times of forgiveness. And you may still be in Matthew. If not, let's turn to Matthew 18. Or if you are, turn to Matthew 18. And you may remember this passage. Jesus taught that was no limit to the number of times to forgive. You know, every now and then someone might say, well, I I forgave him once and they did it again. Well, I tried again. Forgave one more time. And what happened? Well, he lied to me again or uh, cheated me again. And Peter asks a very vital question for us and says, is there a limit? Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? I think Peter thought he was being generous. He was saying seven. Seven? Sounds like quite a few times. What did the Lord say to him? Verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, I do not believe that the Lord was saying, all right, if you are forgiving someone uh, just short of 500 times, uh, that's enough. No, he's using this as a figure of speech. Seventy times seven is an expression of infinity. You continue to forgive. No limit to times of forgiveness. Jesus is teaching that if someone is to enter into the fullness of the kingdom, and that's what he was teaching Peter. Peter was going to be in the kingdom. But if he was going to receive the rewards, the position, the status that he hoped to achieve, he needed to continue to forgive others. We need to learn how to forgive one another 
here and now. And that is a difficult thing to do. I think that uh, forgiving others for what they've done to us is one of the more difficult uh, challenges in our spiritual lives. Ten, forgiveness is closely linked to loving one another. We are told that we are to love one another as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But forgiving is closely linked to loving one another, binding us together in spiritual maturity. So forgiveness and loving one another are closely linked. And I also add this. Forgiving binds us together in spiritual maturity. Colossians 3. Colossians 3, verse 12. Colossians 3, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, as of God, and uh, the word elect here is those who belong to God. Therefore, um, many people will take the word elect here and apply a, a concept that God chose them and that's why they are believers. But our uh, relationship with God comes by our salvation, by faith, grace, by faith. So therefore, as believers, choice ones of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies or compassion, kindness, righteousness, uh, or uh, the word there for kindness is more of uprightness, uh, righteousness. It's translated here, kindness, which is fine. Humility, uh, meekness, or gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. So, Paul teaches that we need to forgive others because it links us. It's uh, loving, uh, loving someone and forgiving them are closely linked. Point 11. Point 11. If you're not able to forgive someone, you cannot grow spiritually. Or, said another way, you cannot grow spiritually if you're not able to forgive others. If you're not able to forgive someone, you cannot grow spiritually. By refusing to, to forgive, you harbor resentment, antipathy, aversion, even bitterness. We must be able to forgive others. And as I said previously, it's a measurement of our spiritual lives, our spiritual maturity. Let's look at a few biblical examples of forgiveness. Uh, we'll move the, through these, I think, fairly quickly. But the first one, uh, and one of my favorite, and probably many favorites, is Joseph. One of the greatest examples of forgiveness is Joseph towards his brothers. And this is found in Genesis 50. Genesis 50, there's a lot of marvelous chapters in the book of Genesis 
but 50 is right at the top, even though it's right at the end. Joseph, Genesis 50, verse 15. When Joseph's, Genesis 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us, will reject us, will despise us, and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So, so they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, and this is not what Joseph said to them, they make this up. Before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now, please forgive the trespass of the servants of God, of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Now, why did he weep? He weeped because he simply couldn't believe that they still had a problem with what they had done. In reality, they carry heavy guilt, and they have not confessed that. And they believe that Joseph has uh, carries a grudge as well. But what does Joseph say? Verse 18, Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Verse 19, Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about, as it is this day, to deliver, to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph tells us, uh, is a marvelous example of how we should forgive. We have one more uh, lesson to learn from Joseph. Joseph teaches us that to refrain from forgiving is to sit in the place of God. If we forgive, to forgive, if we fail to forgive, we have placed ourselves in the place of God. I think that's a marvelous principle. Secondly, we have Stephen. Stephen, when Stephen was being stoned by evil religious leaders, he demonstrated godly forgiveness. In Acts 17, Acts 17, 54, most of us are very familiar with the stoning of Stephen. Acts chapter 7, verse 54. Joseph, uh, Stephen has given his testimony. And uh, at the end of his testimony, the uh, religious leaders decide... They couldn't take it any longer. They tear their clothes and they say, we're going to stone him. Verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart 
and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Again, this is them uh, abusing him verbally. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens open, opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Verse 57. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopping their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, later be known as Paul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Joseph forgave them. And he even prayed for them. Prayed for mercy for them. And then finally, Jesus. On the cross, while he was being unjustly crucified, Jesus forgave his accusers. Luke twenty-three thirty-four. So while on the cross, while he was being unjustly crucified, Jesus forgave his accusers. Luke 23. Luke 23, verse 34. 23, 34. Luke 23, 34. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. So this is uh, the Lord's prayer at the end of of his life across, and then he uh, yields his spirit to the Father. So forgiveness is probably one of the more difficult attitudes a believer must learn and apply. It only comes from first truly loving God and loving our Savior and understanding the grace provision that God has made for us. Forgiving someone uh, is sometimes just too personal. And we need to remember that forgiving comes by way of God the Holy Spirit and His and the accumulation of the spiritual maturity in our lives. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the example of Job as he forgives uh, his friends and he prays for them. Help us, Father, to develop this same type of attitude towards others whom we believe have, have uh, uh, done something that is inappropriate. Uh, we must not carry a grudge. We must not be bitter. We must learn to forgive and, if possible, to forget. We ask these things, Father, uh, because we have a relationship with you. And that relationship comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. His sacrificial, substitutionary work on the cross. And we're thankful that simply by believing in his work on the cross that we can have a relationship with you. And then we can apply the promises that you've given us. And one of those is when we forgive, when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.